With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. If you've been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012 podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. We are wrapping up our three episode week, wrapping up our season previews. Levi Stevenson from Wide Right Natty Light joining the show to talk a little Iowa State, Brock Purdy, offensive line, so much more. So much more. Always love having Levi on the show. It's a ton of fun. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. We are going to go to our normal schedule next week. That is Monday episodes with Jamie and Andy recapping the weekend that was. Picks episodes with my good friend Chris Ross and a third picker who will be joining us. We'll we'll announce that next week. Uh, Making picks every Thursday. We'll continue our Instagram lives on Wednesday nights, 7.30 Central Time. If you have not yet, go check out the one we did this week. Albie Shore from Viva the Matadors was joining us. We talked about the uh, the graduate transfers who joined the Red Raiders throughout this offseason, the impact that they could have for Texas Tech this year. So give us a follow on Instagram, at 1012pod, T-E-N-1-2-P-O-D. Follow us on Twitter, 1012podcast, T-E-N, number 12, the word podcast. We would appreciate it. Uh, guys, if you do us one other favor, look, if you have been a, a loyal listener to the show, you listen on a regular basis, if you check it every now and then, whatever it is, do us a favor, leave us a rating, five stars, please, and a review. Just type in a few words. Like, I, I ask for it on a regular basis. I understand it's annoying. Every podcast does. I have tried to practice what I preach and, and review the podcast that I listen to. If I subscribe to a show and I listen to it regularly, I'm trying to leave a review because I, I realize how important it is. It's big. It really is for these shows. Mine show, every show. So if you guys wouldn't mind, leave us a review. We would appreciate it. It really does help build the show. And building the show is big for our advertisers. And I say that plural because we're going to introduce a new one on Monday. We're going to have two sponsors for the show this football season. I'm very excited about one of them who I have already introduced to you. Uh, we will we will get my friend Tristan on the show at some point here in the next few weeks to talk about Lazy Fair Coffee. LazyFairCoffee.com. If you guys haven't gone yet, please go and do so. Ethically sourced coffee from all over the world, roasted right in the heart of DFW. It's really good stuff. Like you it really is. I really enjoy it. I'm going to make sure I get uh, Andy and Jamie some so they can talk with you about it as well. So go to lazyfaircoffee.com, get a couple bags, get the get the dry rub. I used it this week on some thick cut pork chops, threw it on the grill. It was really good. My wife's not like a, oh, good, a dry rub. Oh, a coffee dry rub. My wife really enjoyed it. 
Like it's really, really good. But if you are a coffee snob like me, go to lazyfaircoffee.com, L-A-Z-Y-F-A-I-R, coffee, that's C-O-F-F-E-E if you don't know how to smell coffee. There was a spelling bee when I was in grade school. Have I ever told this story? I don't remember. Uh, spelling bee in grade school, I think it was in like second grade. And the coffee was the word for the last two participants. And they went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So someone finally got F-F-E-E. I know you don't care. It's just one of those weird things that sticks with your mind. Anyway, lazyfaircoffee.com. Promo code 1012. T-E-N-1-2 at checkout. Get 10% off your order. Uh, if you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you can get free delivery. All right. So go visit Lazy Fair Coffee. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on the gram. Leave us a rating review. Stick around. Because Levi Stevenson with Wide Right Natty Light coming up right now. All right, it's time to talk Iowa State. And if we're going to preview the Cyclones for this season, I had to just bring on one guy in particular, which it's always like very exciting to bring you on, Levi. Uh, but it's also one of those, like, if we can just get through this without it completely imploding, it will be a successful podcast. So, uh, well, you didn't bring, you didn't bring me here if you weren't trying to roll the dice a little bit. It's very much like, it's always a gamble. It's always like the payoff. Uh, it's one of those like high ceiling, but like low floor situations. Like, well, I don't know. If I feel like I deliver a, a medium floor. And I don't know. I don't know. Low floor. I don't mean low floor and like quality. I mean, low floor and like just how off the rails are you going to go and are well, you going to give mean, me a 10-minute response to a question like a four-word question like that's yeah i mean if you're looking for the if you're looking for like an npr podcast where you're just like we'll just give you the straight facts in the most boring way possible then yeah i suppose it's a pretty low floor but <laughs> i'm sorry i have a lot of like npr podcasts i listen to but they're all the like game shows and radio shows those are not just yeah. straightforward those entertain me well i don't know i've listened to some npr I listen. I listen to NPR here and there, but if I'm like, if I'm, I get that's it's not something I go to for excitement. I guess. Uh, then you you don't listen to like. Oh, I just lost the name of the show. It's all it's See, all that's puzzles, how quizzes, and word games. The name no, 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 no. It cracks me up. It's um, ask me another. There we go. It's all okay. just puzzles and quizzes and word games. Like, come on. Okay. It's a nice thing to listen to when you want to break from life in general um okay so enough about npr let's talk iowa state obviously let's start with the offense because that's that's what i want to talk about first and yeah. more specifically well, my mic's levels are jumping all over the place i don't know what's going on here uh all right so what they return i think is huge for iowa state this year obviously you get brock purdy back for what seems likely to be his final season all right we can talk about I get yeah. it, but like, let's be honest. This is probably his last year. Um, you're looking at enough NFL projections that this guy's going to get drafted high enough. It's, it's. I'm not sure what more he can do outside of win a national championship. Right. Uh, you get, right. uh, you get Brees Hall, who I am a big fan of. Very much liked what I saw from him last year. You get Charlie Kohler, who is arguably the best tight end in college football. And I understand people are going to be like, so and so at Florida, whatever. That's fine. I get it. Uh, but Kohler is awesome. Then outside of that, you get you get a, a one wide receiver, one left guard, and and no other starters, but a lot of youth. Um, in theory, some depth, not but not a lot of experience. Okay, so Colin Newell, Colin Newell, returning on the offensive line has has started games too. He's just last season missed missed a little bit of time with an injury, and then the person that filled his spot was playing while well, Derek Schweiger. Uh, but Colin Newell is back, and he's got starting experience. Well, let's start with the offensive line then. Okay, so we did our offensive line ranking last week. I know yeah. you had an opinion on, on Cam's. I saw uh, you did that. Cam's ranking. I saw you did. That. I was yeah. in the last place. Look, my point is this: I've seen enough uh, Matt Campbell offensive lines to say. I will believe that Iowa State is going to march out there with a good one when I see it. I have bought into the the coach speak of they're going to be good too many times, and at this point, I'm not going to buy the beans until I see what they grow. So why? I would argue sh- that you haven't. I would argue that you haven't seen a Matt Campbell offensive line yet. Okay, so explain this to me. Because the linchpin of the entire offensive line that just left Julian Good Jones, that he'd been he'd been kind of the centerpiece of the offensive line for the last few years. He's a Paul Rhodes recruit. Wasn't even a Matt Campbell guy. 
Um, and Bryce Meeker um, was another guy who's another, another Paul Rhodes guy. So, you know, 40% of the line last year was still Paul Rhodes guys. Um, and the good pieces last year were Matt Campbell's guys, Trevor Downing um, and, and um, Josh Kniffel was specifically were definitely the two best guys. Um, Julian Good Jones backup, Joey Ramos, who will be starting this year. He'll be a redshirt sophomore, I believe. Um, he's a Matt Campbell guy. Um, this will be the first year that all of the starters will be Matt Campbell recruits. And the reason I had a huge, huge issue with uh, your guests ranking of, I would say is the worst offensive line in the conference. I said, I get it. I get that the offensive line, especially in the run game has been pretty hit or miss the last few years and um, generally not great, but <laughs> I get it. I get it. It pisses me off too. Um, but offensive line t- Offensive line is a lagging indicator of the success of a college football staff because it takes so long to develop guys. You can, you know, Matt Campbell is going now into his, what is 16, 17, 18, 19, fifth, fifth season, right? Yeah, fifth season. Fifth season, fifth year. Um, so even the guys he recruited his very, very, very first season are still redshirt juniors. Or, yeah, so they're, they're well, they're going to be redshirt seniors this year or whatever. So you haven't even had a full class. This is just finally now the first full class that will be that will be leaving. And especially offensive line, it takes forever for these guys to develop, develop especially because from a physical standpoint, a, a, a 6'6", 280-pound high school recruit and a 6, and then that recruit two years later at 6'6", 300, after he's been in the college weight room for two years, two totally different players. They're not, they're not even in the same universe as each other. It takes a long time to develop bodies and it takes a long time to develop experience. And when you have a guy like Julian Good Jones who came in um, and has been playing, he basically played from day one his freshman year and played straight through all the way through his senior year. Um, even if he's not Matt Campbell's guy, even if he's not as talented necessarily as his backup, he's been there for a long time. And experience is such a crucial factor on the offensive line. So by losing a few guys, you're losing three, three guys and replacing them with three new guys. Um, Joey Ramos, who is Julian Good Jones's backup. He'll be one of the tackles. Um, in his, in the times he did spell Julian Good Jones last year, he was objectively a better lineman than Julian Good Jones. He's an immediate upgrade from a, from that, from Julian Jones having just left. Bryce Meeker was pretty meh for most of his career. Grant Treber stepping in is younger. He's going to, it'll take a second for him to get going, but he is, an objectively more talented lineman um, than the, the other guard coming in to replace Josh Kniffel. Now Josh Kniffel was genuinely a good offensive lineman, definitely the best one on the team. Um, so losing him is, is tricky, but you're replacing him with Rob Hudson. Probably anyways, that's the name I keep hearing about most um, is Rob Hudson. He's about six, eight and three twenty. He's a massive, massive human being, mm. uh, which is a lot bigger than you usually see for a guard. Um, but he is definitely a road grader type that they, that he will bring the most benefit in the running game. Um, so while the offensive line loses experience, it takes an, a definite jump in talent. And then having uh, the new strength and conditioning coach, Dave Andrews, we've been hearing some reports now that the the jump made by the linemen just in this last offseason under the new strength and conditioning coach has been pretty, um, pretty significant that you should see quicker improvement and uh, a more effective and more effective line um, than we had seen under the previous strength and conditioning coach. So it's more talent, stronger, more flexible, more athletic guys. Um, then as soon as they can get some snaps, um, as soon as they can get some snaps under the belt, they're going to be, I think they're going to be a pretty good unit. So let's turn to wide receiver. Obviously Kohler back at tight end. That is a huge piece for Brock Purdy to, to throw to. Uh, Tyreek Hilton is back at wide receiver, but everybody else, all your other starters, your, your top guys, um, Deshante Jones, Michael Petway, they're gone. And you got a lot of youth, it seems like. Um, who should – you're going to have to have some guys step up, obviously. Which sure. ones do you think are most likely to be the guys who are going to step up and, and be there for, for Brock Purdy? So there are two that I would say are, are virtual locks to step up. The first one is Sean Shaw. He's a 6'6 kid from Jones, Oklahoma, um, that came on last year, caught a, caught a bunch of touchdowns. He is every bit in the mold of a, an Alan Lazard, Hakeem Butler type. He's very much in that exact same, more of an Alan, probably more of an Alan Lazard than a Hakeem Butler, um, but still they're going to use him just like um, just like they use those two. Um, the other one is Juco transfer 
for Xavier Hutchinson. Uh, came in. He's a really, really talented guy. I did a scouting report on him a couple weeks ago. And from an athleticism and a skill and play style standpoint, I compared it to Justin Blackman. Um, mm. Very, he's, mm. you know, he's a little bit taller than Justin Blackman. He's probably a little bit faster, but his, but they, but the play style is very much the same where you, you can run about any route you want. And his, his talent is he gets open. He gets open and he makes catches. That's what he does. Um, and you can put him anywhere on the field. He's not a, not a burner necessarily, but he can catch, he can, he can, uh, take away he can get sideline passes he can run stuff over the middle get yards after the catch um things like that he's, he's a really really talented player um so i would say sean shaw and xavier hutchinson are probably the two i think are most likely uh especially sean shaw to to break out and become really really nice impact players um but there's a few other guys back in there too that i think are going to be really uh that could make a big jump up this year joe skates is a really highly touted recruit coming out of high school and he's been a little inconsistent to this point in his career partially because he's had to play against some really talented guys and partially because he just needs to get himself in order um he's a really talented guy had offers he was a four-star guy had offers from ohio state and alabama and a bunch of other big schools coming out of high school um so he's a guy that's certainly capable of stepping up uh landon acres has been here for a hundred years um so he'll probably be you know he'll probably you know he'll be they'll use him in the slot and think they'll use him as a slot receiver guaranteed just like we used to use uh if anybody remembers josh lens They'll use it. They'll use. They'll probably just use them a lot, like they used to use Josh Lands. Um, then uh, there's a couple other guys in there. Darian Porter is a redshirt freshman this year. Six um, four guy, but he he I believe he owns the Iowa high school 200 meter dash record. Um, he's really really quick guy at six four. Um, needed to put some weight on last year to get some more playing time, but that's another guy that they can use um, as a sideline burner. Um, there, there's a lot of guys in there, man. That 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 can that are really, really talented, really athletic. Um, and the nice thing is that you don't have to have five, six receivers come up that can really do I mean, just because of the towns of the tight end room is that they basically function as a, as a secondary wide receiver room that, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a super alpha receiver like a Hakeem Butler. Because um, if you look at what happened in 2018 versus 2019, the offense, you lost an alpha receiver, you know, one of the probably the th- two or three greatest ones in school history. And the offense got hit way, way better in 2019. It was a lot more effective because Brock Purdy started um, started distributing the ball around more. I mean, you had guys, there was, there was I don't, don't know how many games there was, but it was quite a few where you had guys, you had like 10 or 11 guys making catches during the game. You know, he spreads the ball around quite a bit. So you don't necessarily need a true alpha receiver necessarily. Um, but you've got enough guys that can really, um, really do a lot of damage, whether it be underneath routes or it can be catching balls over the top. You've got a nice balance of skill sets there and um, a lot of athleticism. So let's turn to the defense for a minute. Uh, we, we can talk pretty here in a bit. I'll save that till the end. Um, yeah. Like the, it, it brings a lot back this year from a defense that you know Iowa State plays good defense consistently you could argue they were maybe done a little bit last year but I still think it's a good defense they bring a lot back except for the defensive line where it feels like that's where you're going to have the most to replace I mean you bring like an entire starting secondary if I remember like and linebackers so yeah let's turn let's turn to the defensive line Um, I believe both ends are back if I recall correctly but the middle of defensive line is where it feels like there's some questions um what are you hearing as far as, like, again, I, I kind of trust the Iowa State defensive line to get things figured out. It always seems to be consistently one of the better ones in the Big 12. Uh, but what are we hearing at this point as far as how that development's coming along in a weird offseason? Yeah, so uh, the the reports that I've been hearing are very, 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 very good. A um, couple things. One one main one that probably we'll want to keep an eye on is that any uh, Wazirike, who was one of Iowa State's better defensive ends the last couple of years, um, he usually plays about 6'6", 280, but is currently listed on the roster at 6'6", 310. He's bumped to add about 30 pounds this season. Um, and I'm anticipating that that, is, that that will signify a move inside for him to a defensive tackle spot. Um, and the nice thing is you can do that because you have Jaquan Bailey back. Um, which was not something that anybody was expecting to have back for this season. Um, got her early last season with an ankle injury and ended up taking his red shirt. <laughs> um, so you have, you have him back. 
Um, you got Eni Wazirike probably moving inside. Um, you've got some really nice talent there. Zach Peterson's a very good, def- very good defensive end. He's a good. Uh, he's probably primarily more of a run stopping type than than a true pass rusher. Um, but you've got a few other guys in there. Blake Peterson. He's an exciting young freshman that's out of, out, out of South Dakota. Um, he's a very aggressive pass rusher. Um, Cordarius Bailey is a guy that's been kind of sitting on the side for a little while, but I think he'll get his chance this year. Um, the big – on the end spot, another one you're going to want to watch is Will McDonald. He's been – He's been here and there the last, both the last two seasons uh, showing up and kind of like for a few games he'll just go off. Um, we But we saw that it was, it was, 2019 was kind of an interesting thing for him because they moved him from defensive end to an outside linebacker spot because he's a little bit smaller. He's 6'4", like 230. Uh, so he'd be a little bit smaller for a defensive end. Um, they moved him to the outside linebacker spot to see if they'd be able to get him in, you know, on the field more so see if they can play him in coverage. And it sounds like that wasn't the, that wasn't the best spot for him. Um, so the last few games of 2019, they moved him back to the defensive end spot and let him just rush the passer. And he it was, did it to great effect. Uh, he had, I can't remember, I mean, to pull it up here, how many sacks he had against Texas. We had a few. Um, and honestly, if you go back and watch the tape, I think I counted – I think I counted seven different occasions where if Texas hadn't full on held him, um, that he would have gotten, um, he would have gotten probably closer to seven sacks against Texas. Um, Had another really good game against Kansas. I think they finally found a spot for him where they're going to let him, um, well, they're going to let him do him and they're going to let him be on the, on the edge. They're going to let him rush the passer and, and do what he does best. Um, he's probably not going to be a guy that's going to drop in coverage very often, but when, when Iowa State needs to get a sack or when they want to put pressure on the quarterback, they'll bring Will McDonald in, and he's, he, is, man, he is lightning quick off that edge. There's, he's a lot faster than somebody um, that offensive that tackles especially are used to dealing with coming off the edge. Um, but inside, like I mentioned, Enio uh, Azarike, I think, is moving inside based on what I've seen from his weight change over the, over the offseason. Um, they brought in a couple guys, I think – uh, well, they brought in a couple guys, uh, Willis Singleton and Latrell Bankston, um, the latter of which I believe is probably going to be the guy that you're going to see um, mo- you're going to see get more playing time this season. Um, he is more of a pass rush threat than I think Iowa State has had defensive uh, defensive tackle spot the last few years. He's not he needs to work on his uh, on his run discipline and his and his run gap fits. Um, but for right now, he can be a really effective pass rusher from the interior of the line. Um, and for that reason, I think, especially with him and moving uh, Eddie inside, I think you're going to see more four down sets this year. I don't know how many you're going to see. I don't know how often you're going to see it. But it would not surprise me if we saw a, a more traditional four down set from Iowa State more often this year because of the pass rushers they have available to them. Um Another guy probably that would be more of a depth piece, but he'll play too, is Tucker Robertson. He's been he's played um, quite a bit the last few years. Um, that's another guy that he's you know right around six three two three hundred pounds ish, so he can play inside as well. All right, so I'm going to ask about a guy who's listed at kick returner, as far as I can tell, but reportedly the fastest guy on the team has had issues with injuries, but from what reports I've been reading, is finally healthy for his senior year. And I'm going to pronounce this name wrong, and I'll, you'll just correct me, and I will apologize. But Kenny uh, Inwanu, am I getting it right? Kenny Inwanu. Okay. Um, like, it feels like there's some palpable excitement about what he can be as far as a Swiss Army knife kind of all over the field, that kick return on offense and everything. Is this something, is this one of those like coach speak things where fans and coaches are excited about it, but it, it may not really all that matter all that much? Or is this a guy who Big 12 fans need to know because he could cause some trouble for everybody? Well, Kenny Wangu is an interesting player because he's been on the team for a long time. His very, his very first, his very, his freshman year, he, I think he, I don't know if he led the Big 12, but he was very, he was one of the leaders in the Big 12 in kick return average and stuff like that. He's a very, very, good kick returner when he gets the chance to do it um i we've been hearing about the the swiss army knife get him the ball and see what happens type of thing we've been hearing about that that about him for a few years now obviously he had the he had the achilles injury which um which definitely set him back for a year probably two years honestly um but last year we saw him we saw them try to employ him a little bit more as 
um, while we were waiting for Brees Hall and them to get kind of caught up because we had that running back by committee in the beginning of the season. So we used Kenny Wongu and tried to really take him in, you know, try to do the Swiss Army knife thing with him and try to take his try to take advantage of his speed. But in my opinion, I think that was largely a failed experiment. Uh, if you watch against West Virginia, there was multiple times where they threw him swing passes out there and he dropped them. He dropped, I think, two or three of them out there. And one of them straight up bounced into the West Virginia's hands, <laughs> West Virginia defender's hands and went for a pick six right away because he just dropped it. Um, the problem, his main problem right now is that he's got a lot of guys in front of him for getting to get carries for the running back spot. And there's too many good receivers for him to get a lot of time in the, in, in the slot. I mean, unless there's, unless he's showing something more in camp than I've seen on the field for the last, for the last few seasons, I'm not sure what role is available for Kene this year outside of kick returner. Cause Brees Hall can do everything. You can do everything. You can leave him on the field for every single down. And that's just fun. Jarrell Brock, you can do the same thing. Johnny Lang is a scat back that you can, he can catch passes. He can work in space. Um, you know, he's a pretty, pretty agile guy, a nice change of pace from Brees and Jarrell. Um, but beyond those three, how many carries are available for Kane? I I don't know. I'm not sure how many, I don't know if there's very many there to be realistic. Um, and there's too many, there's, there's already too many talented pastor catchers on the team to justify taking off a receiver or a tight end to get Kane on there, especially when, when his, as far as on the field go, his hands have been questionable. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's, he's really fast. Um, and, I, but I, I unfortunately, I, I, this is going to sound harsh, but I, from what I've seen on the field, that might be his primary skill, honestly, is just is being fast. And that's useful. Um, if you know how to, if you can do it, it's, it's useful in a kick return situation, but if that, I mean, he, uh, looking at film, I, I harped on him last year during my film room sessions and stuff like that too. Is his vision just is not as good as you would as it need to be. He misses he misses open running lanes. Um, he does, he's not particularly particularly elusive uh, out in the open field. I I just don't see a skill set there that warrants putting him on the field a lot. I know. I mean, I realize it sounds harsh to say, but that's well. I mean, that's that's, my, that's, that's reality. My, because and that's the that's, that's, that's my honest opinion. I mean, I've watched a lot of I would say football over the last few years, and I do you know I do a film room during the during the during the football season mm-hmm, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I I watch and rewatch Iowa State football quite a bit, and that's honestly that's that's my impression of Kenny up to this point. I think he's he's fast, and that's that's what Kenny is. Fair enough. Okay, so let's talk a little Purdy. I had him as first team quarterback when I put mine in because yep. if I compare him with Ellinger and I like Ellinger and I think too much of the Ellinger slack comes from when he ends up on like preseason Heisman lists, which I think is people just put names they recognize on that list. Yeah. And I'm like, look, yep. he is a really good college quarterback. He wants to go to the NFL, but to me his NFL ceiling is chase Daniel, which isn't a bad thing. Chase Daniel has been paid obscene amounts of money to throw like eight passes, but I just think he's a career backup in the NFL. I think he's a really good college quarterback. But if in, the, put, in the NFL, I think he's Blake Bell. Oh. I think he's there for a little bit, and then you move him to tight end. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, that's... But Ellinger, like, for, for the Big 12 for this year, like, if I if I put those two side by side, it just comes down to if I gave them both the same coaching staff and the same roster to work with, who do I think has more success? I think it's Purdy. I don't think it's Purdy by a mile at all. But I do think it's Purdy. But I am curious from you, looking at Brock Purdy, we've, we we know what he is at this point. What are the things that he does need to work on this offseason? I understand wins matter. I understand that those kinds of things have a big impact on, on where you're going to be at the end of the season as far as awards and rankings and things like that. But just, just talking about the player, what are the things that Brock Purdy needs to work on this season that can lead him to people saying he's the best quarterback in the Big 12 this year? It's tricky because his first full season in college, he was hampered by two bad ankles and a bad shoulder. So we, you know, we, we, we didn't get to see his running threat the whole season. We, we, saw him, we saw him play hurt for probably 75% or more of the season. He still had you know, the, best, the best passing season in school history by a long by a long wide margin um so it's tough because 
you know, there's there's a few things that he, that he can do better. Like one thing I would say is there's sometimes where he um, he can stare down his receivers a little bit um, at times. Generally, does a pretty good job of getting the ball where he needs to go and keeping his eyes downfield and even and finding third, fourth, fifth reads. But there are times where he stares down his receiver a little bit, um, which I mean, j- just about any quarterback does that here and there. Uh, but you know, he he needs to needs to work on that. You know, and the the main thing everybody will tell you is he needs to work on throwing off his back foot or not doing that because he does it a lot. Mm-hmm. But you know. The more and more I've talked about, the more and more I've thought about this, and I've talked to uh, Jay Jordan. He, he's right for Cycling Fanatic. He's probably one of he's probably the smartest, smartest football guy I've ever talked to. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> the smartest. Um, no, he's probably he's honestly probably the smartest football guy I've ever talked to, Jay Jordan. And we, we were kind of in agreement that at this point, I think it's not as big. A, I don't think it's as big a deal as people think it is because I think it's it's legitimately part of his. He uses it as a timing mechanism. For him, it's an it's an accuracy trigger for him, I think, that he's used to throwing off his back foot. It's just something that he does. And if he did it less, you know, I'm not saying he'd be less or more accurate if he did it less, but I'm not sure that it would change his performance a ton if he'd stopped doing it altogether. Because I think it's just an accuracy trigger for him. I think he's so used to it and it's so built into his mechanics that he knows how to compensate for it. He knows how to work with it. He knows how to use it to his advantage because he can buy himself a little bit of extra space to get throws off. Um, and there's, I mean, there are times where it, where you get, where it looks like it probably hurts him a little bit where sometimes a throw, a throw will sail a little bit or it'll let, or end up a little bit short because he can't get quite as much on it. Um, but largely, if you really look at his back foot throws, a lot of them are really good. Like he's still, he's still slinging it even off of his back foot. So, you know, I, I guess you can say he can work on that, but honestly, I'm not, I think it's just a, I think it's just a, just a thing he does. Honestly, I'm not sure it's, if it's anything really worth, really worth worrying about or that it's really a knock on him necessarily, because it's just something he does and he's something he's good at. Um, so, so, so far guess, what I've heard from you, know, you so is not sh- if he's healthy, he's the best quarterback <laughs> in the world and he does nothing that he needs to fix. No, that's not necessarily. I mean, he's his his main things that he needs to do. Honestly, is just he needs to work on the things that every quarterback needs to work on. Just improve his decision making. Make sure you're not staring down receivers, um, not taking unnecessary risks, things like that. But there's but but Brad Purdy is a gunslinger. You wouldn't tell Brett Favre to change his play style because he threw too many interceptions. No, he's Brett Favre because he just does what he does, and he wins ball games and he throws touchdowns and he throws for a, a billion yards. That's what Brett Favre does. And you don't tell Brett Favre to change because he's also the interceptions leader. You know? Yep. And Brock Purdy, but he, he still doesn't actually throw that many interceptions based, you know, for what he does, he really doesn't throw that many interceptions. So, you know, you could, there's a few of them, like especially against Oklahoma State, there was a couple passes he probably shouldn't have thrown. Now, I think there was a good argument that the offensive play calling more, more so screwed him over there because for whatever reason, they decided that he needed to throw the ball 62 times that game. I don't know why because it's not what Iowa State does, um, but it allowed Oklahoma State to totally change their defense and drop extra guys in coverage, and it, and it messed up his game plan and um, took away spots on the field that are ordinarily open. But there's things like that where you just, he's just got to um, watch and not, like I said, not stare down receivers, not get too locked into maybe, you know, not try to get too locked into throwing Charlie Kohler on, for, on fourth, or sorry, when you're trying to get a first down, trying to, you know, throwing to him on third down, using him as such a reliable target there, you know, spreading it around a little bit more. But, you know, I don't think there's any glaring weaknesses in the, in his game that you can, that you can improve dramatically in one season. I mean, the biggest, like when, when the, when the NFL draft comes up, his biggest thing is the, his biggest knock is going to be, he doesn't have like a, laser rocket arm he's got a he's got a good enough arm for to play football i mean we saw him you saw him against texas he threw one 50 yards in the air while he was falling away i mean he's got he's got a good enough arm to throw whatever pass you need him to throw whatever does he have a pat mahomes arm no but nobody has a pat mahomes arm or whatever and <laughs> he's he's accurate he's smart he's a good runner you're not gonna you know you're not gonna call qb powers for him like you do with sam ellinger like 20 times a game but you, you know you're you're totally comfortable with him running read options and improvising and picking up yards on the ground i mean he's he's, a, he's an all-around accurate quarterback he's smart he's a good leader i mean there's not a lot more you can ask out of him doesn't mean he's perfect but he's perfect for iowa state 
that's that's a good it's a good way of of explaining it. All right, so let's talk about the schedule for this season. Um, obviously, yeah. ten game schedule, all nine conference games schedule moved around a little bit, but I want to talk about the non con game because I think Iowa State set themselves up with arguably the most difficult of non conference games facing a really fun and exciting and solid Louisiana team that's got a really good head coach in in, in Billy Napier. Um, the first question is, why would Iowa State do this to themselves? Um, let's just go with that. Like, why? Like, it's fun. I I love the idea of it. But there's also kind of like, okay, so why why would you why would you do this to yourself? Schedule schedule Louisiana. I mean, part of it is there's a pretty limited number of people available to schedule at the time when they were talking to these people. I mean, the 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 number of and because you have to because well there was no power five teams available because they weren't playing interconference at all there's no fc there's there, there theoretically there's fcs available but you got to convince them to play like one game for the entire season and then shut it down or because like would they have rather played south dakota probably but that tells me that south dakota wasn't interested in in getting everything all geared up for one game this fall then turn around and go back to their spring season or whatever they're doing um so your opponents were limited um this is a good challenge early in the season honestly it wouldn't shock me as if like it was this school, if it was, if it was Louisiana Lafayette and then like a couple other ones and Matt Campbell's like, who's the best one. And he's like, probably this one. He's like, let's do it. Like it wouldn't, wouldn't honestly surprise me at all. If that was what, if that's what happened, I don't think it's what happened, but if it did, that wouldn't shock me because I think Matt Campbell wants the challenge. I think he understands it's a good program. Um, and it's just kind of, I don't know, just kind of how, how the, how the cookie crumbled, I guess. I mean, I, I'm not sure how many, I realistically, I don't know how many, how many opponents were actually available for scheduling this this legitimately may have been one of the only ones available and that would also work travel wise and things like that there's a lot of things that go into these to that oh yeah no no, no. Matchup, Com- so it's- scheduling stuff like this is not a it's not easy i mean we don't have to do everything 30 years ahead of time obviously we can, as we can see we can schedule right. games like a month before they happen but whatever um okay so let's just walk through the conference schedule uh open sure. at tcu which is looking like an even better and better situation for iowa state now that uh the duggan is going to be out for the foreseeable future turn around and tell get... you what though if he was if he wasn't out I, that game probably worried me more than a lot of people oh no, no no that was a like that is a that is that is not a it's one of those like tricky fake oh, nice I games want... the season I didn't. I didn't want to. I was not looking forward to that game. No. Granted, two years ago when we played super bad at TCU, or whatever, like that was, that was almost the final straw for Zeb Noland, which was kind of funny because he played really well against Oklahoma. But um, my that game left such a sour taste in my mouth. I that I was like, man, I don't. I don't know. So I, I mean, I know I I know we beat TCU pretty good last year or whatever, and you got most of your guys back. I get it. But ugh, I man, I something about playing at TCU, I just do not like. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. So open at TCU in conference play, and that I, again, like I think their defense will be fine. Dugging out, uh, that feels much nicer. Then you get Oklahoma early in Ames, Iowa, which is I like that. Look, I I am of the oh good OU like look. I'll believe OU is going to have a down season under Lincoln Riley when they have a down season. I'll believe that a quarterback under Lincoln Riley is going to be not a Heisman finalist when it happens. Um, but this is if you're going to get this Oklahoma team on the schedule at home, third game of the season, that's the ideal time to do it. I, I, I this is this. There's just about no better time that this this game could happen because one, you'll have a couple games under your belt, mm-hmm. so your offensive line should be able to get some snaps under their belt getting a good rhythm there your offense should you know i would say it's a really experienced team and it's a really well coached team and that's what that's actually what we're going to see a lot this season i think the teams that are really well coached are the ones that are going to float to the top um because you're going to have to deal with you might have to, you po- might possibly have to deal with games moving around uh, you're dealing with unusual circumstances unusual you know uh, scheduling type circumstances you might deal with different guys missing um, here and there. So I think the well-coached teams are going to flow to the top. And so that's why I thought going into this season, I thought Iowa State was at a significant advantage to other teams. Yeah. Um, not every team, but like, you know, there's a, I think there's a few teams that are like Oklahoma, 
Iowa State, Oklahoma State are probably at a significant advantage over the rest of the conference, in my opinion. No, I think TCU that makes sense. ordinarily that makes sense. TCU ordinarily would be there because Gary Patterson's a very, very, very good coach, obviously. But they have their theirs is more personnel. Their issues are more personnel based than coaching based, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Iowa State is the most complex defense in the conference. It's the hardest one to learn um, and to learn how to play against. And Spencer Rattler, this would be his, what, his third game or something like that. I mean, you, you're asking a brand new quarterback to come in and play probably the most comp- the most complex defense in the conference on the road in like your third game of the season. And probably in you know, arguably maybe the def- best defense on the schedule that early on. Um, I Man, if, if there's ever a good time to get Oklahoma, it might be that. <laughs> right I agree. There. Get, them, get them early in the season while, while your well-coached team um, when you've got, I think at that point in the season, Brock Purdy still be the, an objectively better quarterback than Spencer Rattler. Maybe by the end of the season, who knows? At that point, we will still consider Brock Purdy better than Spencer Rattler. Um, so I, I mean, I think I like that. I actually, I like that. I would, I would call that a full-on 50-50 game, if not maybe actually leaning towards Iowa State just a little bit. At this point, obviously things can change, but yeah. Well, and the, the thing for Iowa State, if I look at this, you break the schedule down, I think the Big 12 kind of did Iowa State a favor. And part of that being that the toughest stretch was your Louisiana at TCU Oklahoma stretch. But with Duggan out, I I don't even an in Fort Worth. I'm, I'm sorry, TCU. Like, I think that's I'm putting a, a win for Iowa State there. So I don't see an obvious spot where I have to put two to three games where I have questionable situations. Louisiana, I mean, Iowa State should win. But no offense, Iowa it'd be a State, tough game. Non-conference That's not the, It's not the easiest game on their schedule. No, I don't think. not at all. You get Texas um, Tech at home after OU. Um, yeah, you get a bye week or an idle week before you have to go to Oklahoma State. You have to go to back-to-back yep. road games, but your back-to-back road game after Oklahoma State is, is Kansas. Kansas. You get Baylor yeah. at home, and I mean it's later in the season, so they should be playing better. But there's still too much new there. But Baylor, honestly, Baylor though they could be anywhere from because they well, there's ten games, so. I mean, Baylor could legitimately be anywhere from three and seven to seven and three. Yes. I don't think anybody has a clue. Like nobody has a clue where Baylor's going to end up. So you get another. Yeah. No, I I agree. I, they're. I think I have them at like five hundred because I just, I don't like that's the that's the best yeah, I, I mean, can do of like that's well, like the average of like the two extreme ends of their potential. Like yeah, like some teams can like you know, like um like a TCU is probably somewhere between four and six and six and four, maybe a little bit better, a little bit worse, but that's pretty much where they're at. You know, it's a pretty, it's a fairly tight window where they can end up. Baylor can be all over the place. Yeah. But then you get an idle week and you get Kansas state at home at Texas, West Virginia at home. And I just, I think the schedule for Iowa state sets up really well for them this season. Now, all of that said, I think Oklahoma state on the road is going to be tricky. I think. Honestly, I think there's a good chance that that, ends up being the best game of the entire season, the best Big 12 game of the entire season. I mean, Iowa State, Oklahoma State games have been very they're close always, competitive They're games. always awesome, awesome, awesome football games. Yeah, and, and I think, like I said, I, I know you said that, like, I'm, I'll wait to see Oklahoma, you know, have a down season when it happens and stuff like that. But I think, because when, when's Bedlam? Uh, it is, uh, I've got to go. Is it, bef- wait, is it before October 24th or after? Uh, it is after it is November twenty first. Okay, so it's way late in the season. Yeah, it's so. it's it's a good one, two, three, four weeks later. Okay, so because I think I think Iowa State clips off Oklahoma at home. I think we do. I think we get them. Um, I can't believe I'm actually confidently saying that as an Iowa State fan. Crazy times we live in. Um, but you know, I think I, I think I think both teams probably will be undefeated going into that matchup, and I think. I think those are the two most complete teams in the conference. Um, obviously, Oklahoma's offense is just way up here, and if they have a good defense, then look out. But um, I think this just with them having a new quarterback and stuff like that, I think they're more vulnerable this year than they are than they have been in past years. Um, well, we thought that last year, and we actually had mediocre quarterback play through most of the season for Oklahoma and a new defensive coordinator. And they were still what they were. Uh, again. I, I get it. And this year's going to be game, this year's going to be weird, and we just have to accept that. Like it's, it's some of yeah. this predicting stuff mm-hmm. is hard to do, and that's what I want to end with on you is this is going to be a weird season. There's going to yeah. be games that are either canceled or delayed. Position groups are going to have issues. What is the one position group for Iowa State 
that if they have to go play a game, you you really don't have the depth to deal with some major positive cases. Like if there's one position group you're like, that's this is the one that can't get like wiped, decimated by the virus, the one that we have to be able to keep healthy. Which one is it? Um, and obviously quarterback, but let's not play say quarterback. You know what though? I mean, assuming just on percentages of people in the room, you could lose two quarterbacks, and I think the third one would be okay. Um, We're going option for a week, people. <laughs> no, actually, the third quarterback, uh, yeah, probably be Aiden Bowman, who's basically a Kyle Kemp clone. Okay. Um, so, and by then, you know, middle of the season, he'll be fine. Um, I would say right now, if you to lose multiple guys at that. I would I'm probably tempted to say the defensive line just because the depth there is is young. It's really young. Um the top end is fine. The top end is good. The depth beyond that is yeah. Um linebackers are kind of the same way. They're a little bit they're not quite as top heavy as the defensive line is, but the linebackers there's the depth there is talented but young. Um secondary feel pretty good about that. Wide receiver wouldn't worry about it. Tight end super not worried about it. Um because all six of those guys, all the, all six of the tight ends in the room, you could you could rearrange them however you wanted. I wouldn't care. Uh, running backs got plenty of talented there. Quarterback Brock Purdy goes down. It might seem like the end of the world, and betting lines are going to change. I, I I mean, I'd be honest. I might not actually be that nervous about it. Um, within within, I'm, I'm telling you, man, the the two quarterbacks, the the two guys behind Brock Purdy are. V- really really talented and everything i've heard coming out of camp has been really really positive about them they'll be more put it this way if brock Purdy goes down you know early in the season we lose him um these two guys will both be more prepared to play than brock was his first game at oklahoma state a couple years ago they're i would argue that especially hunter deckers is more has a lot more raw talent he's more athletic and he'll he'll be more prepared than Brock was. Um, they'll, they'll be starting off at a, at a better spot than Brock did. Um, that's not to say they're going to be as good or better than Brock. I think they can be better. Um, I think I think they will be better. But uh, quarterback, if Brock goes down, I'm not. You know, if it's the first game of the season, maybe I'm worried about it. But if it's even a few games in the season, I'm not not panicking. Um, especially because the system, just the way the system is set up, it's not. It's not set up where, like, only one guy can run it. Like, like for example, uh, for the Ravens, if Lamar Jackson went down, they'd have to totally, completely change their offense to fit their backup quarterback. Right. I don't even know who their backup is, or whatever. But is it RG three? I, I don't know. But, um, but they'd have to totally change what they do. Or if Pat Mahomes went out, they'd have to totally change. The Chiefs would have to totally change what their offense did. The way Iowa State system is set up, you don't really have to completely overhaul it to, to work with different quarterbacks. So. Um, and I would say it's actually had really good success with backup quarterbacks uh, for the most part under Matt Campbell, you know, between Kyle Kemp and Brock Purdy. And, you know, we've had, we've had success with, with backup quarterbacks. Uh, well, actually Jacob Park before them. Um, so I, I would say probably, probably defensive line, maybe then short quickly followed by offensive line, just because the, the, the whole position group is pretty young that if the guys that they've already got slated to start go down, that I'm concerned. Cause then you're talking about just starting like true freshmen and stuff like that, which true freshman, the offensive line is generally not a good idea. All right, Levi, you have been awesome as always. I always appreciate your time. This one was stayed incredibly on the rails. I don't know if I'm disappointed or relieved <laughs> or what's going it's, on. It's just Sunday and I'm pretty chill. It's Sunday, Man. like midday and you haven't gotten like, a full six pack in yet? Yeah. So we're gonna have to go back to nights because this is just—I don't want to say I'm disappointed, but I, you know, <laughs> it's just not a, a your usual Levi experience. It's just, yeah, it's been a, it's been a week, it's been a day. I'm just relaxing, man. I hear you. Uh, so for everybody who wants to check out the work that you do, uh, covering Iowa State as well as your new uh, political podcast, in case anybody wants to do that, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just gonna. I like Levi. He's got a new show. We're going to plug it. Uh, Levi, where okay. can they go do that? Uh, so all of my Iowa State 
stuff is anything I write article wise is definitely on wide right netty light.com. Um, Twitter handle is at wide RT netty LT. Um, my personal account is at Levi R. Stev. And as Phil mentioned, I did start a new political podcast. Not, you know, if, if politics aren't, aren't your thing, then not, you know, don't worry about it. But if you, if something, if you like good discussion, the entire purpose is that we use, you know, facts and figure and try to, and try to boil it down into something that is easily digestible. And it's something that people can talk about, you know, the tagline for the show kind of is making, you know, the show designed to make politics something you actually want to talk about again. Um, so uh, that's called the total BS show. Um, it's at, it's at the total BS show, I believe on Twitter. Um, and I'll, I plug it once in a while on my personal account too. So very cool. That's your speed. Yeah. Check it out. We live stream every Sunday and Thursday night at 8 PM on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all that. Um, but you can catch old episodes on YouTube as well. Very cool. All right, Levi, as I said, always a pleasure. Look forward to getting you on uh, once we actually – we've got football going, but like once Big 12 season starts. Yeah. This one, it's it's going to be such a weird season. Like like I feel really good about it from my, from my state perspective. Like I feel really good about our chances to have a really good season. But, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that can change. And uh, I don't like it. None of us do, man. None of us do. But I'm just gonna enjoy it. I'm just gonna enjoy it. I'm just gonna enjoy what we get. And I, yeah, that's it. I just we're just gonna enjoy it. Enjoy as much as best we can. Shout out to Jamie Pollard for still squeezing out six home games out of a ten game schedule. <laughs> we were supposed to have. I think it was it was up until we went to the nine plus one. You know, after we lost Iowa, when we, and then we added then we added um, Ball State. For that, for a little while there, we were supposed to have eight home games on a twelve-game schedule. That's gonna be awesome. Sports Social Podcast Network.